You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Dustin, if, you, if I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the leaders here at Calvary, and I'm really pumped to bring you this message today. It's been on my mind a while, and here's the opportunity finally on congregational singing. There is a saying that goes, good theology leads to good doxology, which basically just means right and true things about God lead to right and true worship of God. In our church constitution, in section 1-1, Statement of Faith, it says under point 2, we believe worship of God should be participatory. So we give a great place to congregational singing in our worship. The Hebrew word for sing is used 88 times in 79 verses in the Old Testament. And most of those times, especially in the book of Psalms, it's a command. We're told by God to sing to him. When Israel wanted to commemorate something, like when God overthrew the Egyptian army at the Red Sea, they'd sing a song about it. Or if they wanted to remember the past work of God, they would put it into a song like the Song of Moses. Before Jesus left the Last Supper to go struggle in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang a song. And in heaven, the redeemed sing the Song of Moses and the new song of the Lamb. One of the largest books in our Bible, the Book of Psalms, is a book full of songs for congregational singing. Singing, but especially singing together, is a very Christian thing to do. I think it's distinctly Christian. Because I can't think of many other places where you get together with a bunch of random people to sing. Except maybe at a sports event, but usually then it's just like an anthem and ole, ole, ole. Singing might happen there, but it's not a marker of those events. Singing is Christian. The church sings. But that being said, I wonder how many of us know why we're singing every Sunday. Why does the church sing? How is our singing different than the singing at a sports event? What is to guide our singing? Why so much singing? What is going on while we sing? So I hope to give insight this morning to some of those questions. And the areas we're specifically going to look at, and they're in your bulletin, um, are how congregational singing is spiritual and truthful, it's mutual, and it's thankful. And to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. That is on page 1039 in these Bibles, the Bibles provided, 1039, Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. And if you don't have a Bible yet, if you're visiting and you don't own a Bible, well, now you do. Just take one of the church ones home with you. It's our gift to you. Well, really, it's God's gift to you because it has everything that we need in it for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So as you uh, finish flipping there to Ephesians 5, 18, I'm just going to pray that God would help me to be useful this morning. God, we thank you that we can come to your word. We thank you that you tell us to sing to you. Um, We thank you that 
There's so many things packed into it, and I hope that I can unpack that this morning. For the good of your people and the honor of your name, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I used to only think that really the preaching mattered at a church. I was, all, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll sing. I don't care, though. I just The preaching better be good. That's what matters. But I've come to see that singing is a very important part of what happens at a church, too. That everything you do at church, whether it's, it's all about the word. You're, you're singing the word. You're hearing the word. You're praying the word. It's all the word. And so singing is very important, and I've come to grow in that. So I hope that I can encourage you, if you're not much of a singer, that you would at least understand the, the theology and the reasons behind why the church sings. So Ephesians 5, 18 uh, to 20. We'll cut in at the end of verse 18 where it says this, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So congregational singing is spiritual and truthful, mutual and thankful. Spiritual and truthful, mutual and thankful. Our text tells us that in our singing, we're to be filled with the Spirit. And Jesus told us that's exactly the sort of worship that the Father wants. In John 4, 23 to 24, he said, But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who, mu- who, those who worship him must worship in spirit And in truth, we see that the spirit and truth are inseparable in worship. In John 15, 26, the spirit is called the spirit of truth. In John 16, 13, it tells us that the spirit of truth will lead us into all truth. We have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when we believe the message of the truth. Ephesians 1, 13. God chose us from the beginning for sanctification by the Spirit through belief in the truth, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. And anybody who knows the God of truth listens to the teachers of God's truth. That's how we can tell the difference between the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of deception, 1 John 4.6. So do you see the picture I'm trying to paint here? The Spirit and the truth are inseparable in worship. How do we be filled with the Spirit? What's that mean? Well, we're filled with the Spirit when we're sanctified by the Spirit in accordance with the truth. Sanctified is just a fancy word for being cleaned up, basically. That's what it means, to get cleaned up. So, we live filled by the Spirit when we're getting cleaned up by the Spirit, by the truth of the Spirit, which is the book of the Spirit, the Bible. We can then come together at church, at our church meetings, and sing filled with the Spirit. When our songs are true, offered through Jesus, and by the Spirit. So, we need to have lives filled with the Spirit and the truth in order to have songs filled with the Spirit and truth, in order to give the Father the sort of worship he wants in spirit and in truth. That's why, practically, 
Practically, we try to be pretty careful at church with the song selection for our times together. Because we need to be singing true songs to God. Completely true songs to God. That's why we won't be singing every song that's on the Christian radio. Because some of them are garbage. Some are man-centered. Some are partly true. But what God wants and what we want is all true. That's what we want to be singing to him. Because realize what would be happening if we sang true enough songs. Oh, here's a song for you, God. It's true enough. It'd be like writing a love letter to your wife. In which some of the things you appreciate and express to her are, are describing her. But then some of the things are definitely describing another woman. Would she receive that love letter as love? Would she feel known by you? Would she feel appreciated by you? Well, it's the same with God. He wants to be worshipped for who he actually is and what he's actually done in the spirit and in truth. Sometimes a song is good, but it'll just have one wrong word in it. So as I'm singing, I'll try and change that word while I sing so I can just sing the whole song. Two examples. Charles Wesley's And Can It Be. That song's amazing. It's packed with rich truth that I can sing in the spirit to God. Except this one line. Amazing love, and can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Well, God can't die. God is immortal. That's why he had to become a man, so he could die for his people. So I change it as I'm singing for thou, my king, shouldst die for me. That's true. Another example is the song, Above All. You know that one that goes, above all powers, above all kings, above all nature, and all created things. Lots of good stuff in there. Lots of good truth. But the one part I can't sing is the line that says, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Because I think thought of me above all, like thought of me above all Christians, or thought of me above the glory of God, or no. So I changed it to thought of me through it all thought of me through it all. That's something I see biblically that Jesus was doing in his suffering and death. That he had on his mind every specific believer that the Father had chosen before the foundation of the world and that he's doing this excruciating work on the cross for each of us specifically. He thought of us specifically through it all, thought of the glory of God above all. So those are just little things that I do as I go along. And usually, with most songs that we have, you don't have to do that. It's great. So it's important that we come to God prepared each Sunday, each Sunday morning. Worshiping in spirit and truth takes some preparation. It takes being deliberate, and it takes being intentional. Don't just show up and go through the motions when we're singing, because that'll just make it an empty religious experience. Don't pull a late night the Saturday before and then come to church like a zombie. Come ready. Come with your brain on. Come with your heart engaged. That's how God wants us to come. And if we look back to our Ephesians text, engaging our heart is actually something God wants us to do because it continues by saying, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. In the Greek, what that like literally translates to is playing a stringed instrument. He wants you to play your heart like a stringed instrument. God wants us to play our hearts before him together, not just from our mouths, but our hearts like an instrument. And playing an instrument takes skill, it takes intention, 
And it takes preparation, doesn't it? Like, think of it physically. What if I gave everybody here this morning a violin? And we were going to sing even a little simple song like Mary Had a Little Lamb. Well, most of us wouldn't know what to do. Where do we put our fingers? How do we hold the bow? Some, some, some of you are gutsy, and you, you would give it a go. You would do something on there that sounded like a strangled cat. And probably a handful of you would know how to play the thing because of past training, preparation, skill. You put some effort into it. But collectively, it'd just be pandemonium. Well, what do our hearts sound like spiritually to God? Are they playing his songs of truth? Are we lining up with that, loving it? Are our hearts tuned to his conducting? Are we paying attention to what's going on, what we're saying? Does God hear our collective hearts as pandemonium or as beautiful music rising up to heaven from our hearts? The heart in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is the seat of our emotions, our our will, our intellect, all our desires, it's, it's what makes you, you, and not me. That's your heart. The heart is you. God wants you to play you like an instrument before him. That's the picture. He wants you in preparation and in purpose to employ your emotions, your will, your intellect, your desires in the music you make to him. God wants us to play our hearts like an instrument in our congregational singing. He wants the music rising to heaven, not just from our mouths, but from our hearts, our centers as well. We're going to move on to the mutual part. If we look back at Ephesians for this next session, we see we're not just speaking to God in congregational singing, we're actually speaking to one another. Because it says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is likely not an aspect that much of us think of when we come together to sing. Like, of course, we realize we're singing mutually together to God, but I wonder if you've ever thought of how we're mutually singing together to each other. In our songs, we're addressing God and each other simultaneously. It says we're to speak, we're we're to utter articulate sounds, right? That's how we speak to each other, to use words to declare our mind and our thoughts to each other. But not just any sounds, not just any words. It says ones contained in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're to address one another in psalms, in pious songs, like those contained in the book of psalms in the Bible. And there's a lot of worship groups these days putting the psalms to modern music. And that's great, because you can't go wrong with singing the Bible to each other. There's no need to truth check as you go along. And one that we've been singing to God and to each other recently is Psalm 23. It's so good. I've enjoyed that a lot. Uh, We can also employ hymns to declare our mind and thoughts to each other. Hymns were typically sung in praise to gods or conquerors or heroes. They were sacred songs, not everyday songs. Well, Christians, we've got the only true God, and we've got the greatest hero because he defeated death. And we've got a conqueror who overcame the world. So we can sing these sacred songs to him in honor and also to each other to remind and encourage us of who our king is and what he's done. Then then it says spiritual songs. These are kind of like all the other songs, basically. They could be poems put to music, songs, choruses, odes, etc. 
There's, there's a liberality in the style of music, the type of music. There's a strictness in the content, right? It has to line up with the Bible. But as for like style or tempo, whatever, as long as it's orderly and for edification, there's a liberality. This is another reason why we need to come ready to church. Because in congregational singing, we're actually teaching one another. We're encouraging one another. We're building up one another. We're propelling one another. We're not just passive voices being carried along. That's not what we're to be. We are active components of the teaching and preaching ministry of this church. Each of you, as you sing, are active components of the teaching and preaching ministry of this church. We're holding the truth up. We're holding it out as we make our address in song. Music helps us memorize. That's an amazing thing that God has built into it. There's a few amazing things that God's built into it. And one is that it helps us memorize things. Like music stays in our memories. Think of how many annoying jingles from commercials are in your head and you cannot get them out. That's a negative <laughs> example of that. Or like the, the songs of your youth that you can call back just like that. Even though that's like 40 years ago. Well, God's the author of music. He made it to work like that. And so he tells his people to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, so that his word would get like locked down in us. And it can be so deeply absorbed into us that it's often one of the only things our dear brothers and sisters who suffer under dementia can remember clearly. It, songs come back. It's amazing. God has designed music with the amazing ability to get down inside of us where normal words often can't. Music can lift us up from dark valleys. I can personally attest to that as we've had some pretty dark times in the last few months. And congregational singing was often the thing that made me feel like I had my lips above the waves. Because we would come to church bewildered, uh, panicked, despairing, and the congregation would carry us along in songs and reminders and beautiful truth as they sang to us. Like it was life-giving. And it was mutual because then we were empowered to sing the same things back to you. And this mutual singing is yet another reason to really enter into life with people at church. To really know them. To live authentically. Because if I know the people at church, like, I know their struggles, and I know their triumphs, I know their pain and their burden, well, then I can accomplish much in song. To live authentic and know people and enter into their lives will make my singing into a prayer. If you aren't vitally connected to church, your thoughts while singing will likely be, I don't like this one, or I sang that really good, or who can hit that note? Or finally, one I like. However, when you know people, when you know them and you love them more than yourself, you can come to amazing grace and you can belt it out as an ode to God and a battle march for your church family. You might have just heard how somebody in the church has lost a great deal. All in all is next. And you sing, you are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. You sing it as a prayer for them and an offering to God. Somebody's relative has just died. 
Now blessed be your name has new necessity. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You speak this in truth and in song to God and as an earnest plea for them. Somebody's struggling with bitterness and you know they need to hear you when you sing. They will know we are Christians by our love. Somebody's taken their eyes off Christ. They're ready to break from the flock. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. You confess in song that you have the same struggle, and you compel them to not turn away. Somebody's walking close with the Lord, and, you, and they're bearing a lot of fruit. Well, you bolster them up, and you remind them of their good portion with, better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Do you see? When you know people, you're not just singing songs at church anymore. You're doing gospel work. You're living body life. You're fulfilling the law of Christ that we love one another. Congregational singing is not about you. It's not about what you got out of it. It's about God and it's about your family all around you. But let me tell you, if you make it about God and your family all around you, you'll definitely get something out of it, guaranteed. So three quick practical things because the singing is to be mutual. This is one for worship leaders, which you pretty much mostly do. Um, please choose songs or put songs in octaves that the majority of the people can hit. Because simply, if the song's too high or if it's too low, the bulk of the people, for the, for the bulk of the people, then the bulk of the people won't be singing, and that's not congregational, and that's not mutual. So just one little thing to consider there. Um, then the next two are about, like, I'm not saying these are laws. This is, this is I, not the Lord, okay? I don't just sing. I shout because it's mutual. Well, actually, this is about God does tell us to shout. Lots of times, God tells us to shout in the book of Psalms. So I shout. I want to shout. I want to shout more than you know and louder than you know. I want to shout to God because he's awesome. And I want to shout to you because we're in a war. I don't sing delicate and soft when I come to church because I want the fellow soldiers around me, around me to be hyped for going back into the fray. You should consider shouting. Three, I don't close my eyes anymore in congregational singing. Just hold your stones for a second. <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong to close your eyes. It's just been a tangible thing for me to help me remember that I'm not having my own personal worship session. With my eyes open, I see and remember the people that I'm singing to God with. And I see and remember the people I'm singing to God for. So it helps me sing mutually rather than exclusively. Just consider that, that's all. Our last section is thankful. Ephesians continues, giving thanks always and for everything in the name of, uh, to God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, of course, not only talking about congregational singing. Always and for everything tells us that. However, congregational singing, I think, is a superb jumping off point for being thankful always and for everything. Some quotes from Psalms. Psalms 95.2 says, Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. 
And again, in 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. 116 verse 17, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. We have this reminder and this command from God because humans aren't naturally thankful. In our sin, we're ungrateful and we want more. God's long-suffering and he delays judgment on this earth that it deserves. And we have the audacity to ignore God or to grumble against him. The unthankfulness of humanity is something that stirs up God's wrath. Uh, Romans 1.21 says, People are without excuse. For though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God or show gratitude. And this ungratefulness can still find a home in us Christians, even though we're being changed. Because, like, I think back how, how easy it was for me to join in the unthankful boss bashing at coffee breaks at work. Easy. Fun. Not good. How easily do we complain about the snow, the length of the winter, the heat, the rain? Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. We whine and complain. We have ample food and covering, yet we can find occasion to want more. God wants a thankful people. A thankful people are going to stand out as a light on a hill in this crooked and depraved generation. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So says 1 Thessalonians 5.18. So if you want to know what God's will for your life is, well, one clear and obvious direction is that you be thankful, always and for everything. The reason a Christian can be thankful always and for everything is because of our union with Christ. Because no matter what's going on, what our circumstances contain, what we have or don't have, if we're healed or not healed, rescued or persecuted, the thing that never changes is our union with Christ. That's unassailable. That brings us unbroken peace with God, unquestionable hope for the future, promised escape from hell and destiny of heaven in which it's impossible for God to lie. Our life is hidden in God with Christ, and when Christ appears again, we also will appear with him in glory. That can't be taken away, no matter what's going on. That is cause for being thankful always. That is the secret to being thankful for everything. For in everything, our union with Christ remains. There's so many voices in the world. There, there's so many voices vying for your attention and your allegiance. So many thought patterns and worldviews that are pressuring you to get in step with them. There's so much noise. Well, God has ordained, he's decided for his church that at least once a week, we would gather together and sing our hearts out and break through that noise. Got to break through it. That, that the songs would clear our heads and bring us back to thankfulness, even if we came into church unthankful. Congregational singing can make us thankful because in it, others can lead us to where we can't take ourselves sometimes. We're carried along and through it, we can bear one another's burdens. So it's great. It's great to say thankful things to God in prayer. 
And it's awesome to have a thankful heart toward God. And it's great to sing our thanks to God together every week. It's actually essential and critical to come together at the start of every week and congregationally sing to God and to each other, filled with the spirit of truth, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, not only with our mouths, but also with our hearts, giving thanks to the Father for what we have and will have in our precious King Jesus. So let's do that now. Let's sing like that. Let's bring our tribute to God. Let's preach to one another in song. Let's fulfill the law of Christ. Let's love one another. So I invite the worship team to come on up and lead us in that. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.